In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness and goodness, and in everything that you do for us. Grant us your peace, O Lord, and help us to understand your word. Teach us, O Lord, during this hour to be focused, O Lord, on your word and its meaning, and help us to apply it in our lives according to your will. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. <clears throat> uh, good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well this evening. Um, God willing, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Genesis um, in chapters 22 and 23. Uh, last time we studied chapters 20 and 21. Um, if you remember chapter 20, we spoke about uh, Abraham and Sarah and how they lied about their relationship to Abimelech because Abraham was afraid that um, they would take Sarah as his, as, as his wife, Abimelech's wife, and that they would kill Abraham. Very similar to what happened before uh, with uh, uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And I had made a mistake actually last time at the very end when I said that this happened three times. Uh, it only happened two times, one with Pharaoh and one now with Abimelech uh, in chapter 20. Um, in chapter 21, uh, we studied about the birth of Isaac uh, and uh, the, you know, the, 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 the son of promise and everything that happened um, with that. Today in, in 22, um, we're going to read about the famous story of God asking Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, which is a very powerful story, both on its face as just the act of asking a father to sacrifice his son, but also in the, the deeper meanings and the symbolism that we find in this story. So um, uh, this is actually one of the most um, interesting chapters in the book of Genesis. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. <clears throat> so it starts, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Okay. Um, as I said, the, the, the focus of this chapter is um, the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, and um, we see demonstrated in this story the, the really the, the, the great, the amazing obedience of Abraham um, actually on the feast of the covenant Thursday, uh, covenant Thursday during Holy week, the fraction that's prayed at the end of the liturgy recounts this story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And we, um, we see a parallel here between, um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac as God, the father offering his son for the salvation of the world, just as Abraham offered his son. And I'm going to read for you a small part of this fraction, this very beautiful fraction that we pray on Covenant Thursday, which makes that connection with us. Because on Covenant Thursday was the day before the crucifixion, um, when God the Father is offering his son as a sacrifice. So here we read about in Genesis 22, Abraham the father is offering his son Isaac as sacrifice. So this is, this is part of this fraction. It says, thus, the slaying of Isaac was a type of the shedding of the blood of Christ, the Son of God, on the cross for the salvation of the world. 
And as Isaac carried the firewood for the burnt offering, likewise Christ carried the wood of the cross. And as Isaac returned alive, likewise Christ rose alive from the dead and appeared to his holy disciples. O God, who received the sacrifice of our father Abraham, receive this sacrifice from our hands in this hour. Bless these gifts. Bless those on whose behalf they have been offered and repose the souls of who have died. It's really a beautiful, beautiful fraction um, that we pray, making this connection and remembering that this, the symbolism in, in okay? Um, as we've said before, uh, anytime that there is a test that God is testing us in, in some way or another, um, we, you know, we, uh, we, we contemplate on and we think about why is it that God allows us to be tested, okay? God does not test us to know us, you know, as in any situation normally when we are tested, we are tested because whoever is testing us wants to know, wants to know our knowledge, wants to know our experience, wants to know something about us that is not clear already. <clears throat> but when God tests, God does not test for that reason because he already knows us thoroughly, clearly, right? But he tests for more than one reason. One is he tests us so that we know ourselves, right? So that we can discover about ourselves something that maybe we didn't know. For instance, maybe I believe about myself that I'm strong in faith but it is only when I'm tried that I realize how weak in faith that I am, right? And maybe that prompts me to, 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 to struggle more, to, to struggle in faith more, to believe, to, you know, to do some actions, to take some step, right? To grow in my spiritual life. Another reason that God can test, and, and we see this especially here, is so that all of us and all of the other people can see the, the faith that is manifested in the person who is being tested. You know, again and again with Abraham, we see how Abraham is tested and we, we, we grow in respect for him because of everything that he experienced and endured and his response to it all. Okay. Um, St. Augustine, he says about Abraham, Abraham has been tested by offering his beloved son, Isaac, to proclaim his piety of obedience, not to God, but to the world. Not every temptation is meant as a reproof, but it could be as a commendation meaning God is showing the world of the faith of Abraham, showing the world the obedience of Abraham so that we all look to him as a father. We see him truly as a father of all nations and we see him as our father, someone that we want to emulate, someone that we want to learn from because of the great, the great obedience that he showed. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so oftentimes um, faith cannot really be taught through instruction right? Like if, if one person is trying to teach what it means to have faith to another people, this often cannot be taught in a classroom, okay? But taught through experience. And here we see <clears throat> the experience of Abraham and how it is a teacher for us to learn from him. Abraham, because of his faith, is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. He Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that speaks about what we refer to as the heroes of faith. It, it talks about many people that um, had faith in the Old Testament. And we read here in Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So, 
this idea of God asking Abraham not to hold back his hand, right? And or sorry, to, to hold back his hand and not to kill Isaac is a symbol of the resurrection. The idea that Isaac was as good as dead, right? As though symbolically Abraham had slaughtered him and he came up from the dead again. Like he walked away as though someone rising from the dead, right? Is a symbol of the resurrection of Christ. Okay. Um, this is what is meant by when Christ was speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter eight, he says, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad, right? When, when, when the Pharisees were questioning Christ and rebuking him and, and, and they were saying that he was committing blasphemy by making himself equal with God. And, and so Christ said this, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Right. And they mocked him after this and said, how could you live in the time of Abraham when you are so young? Right. But what is it that he meant? Right. This event that we read about here in this chapter, that's a symbolism of Christ. This is as though that, that Abraham is rejoicing in the day of Christ in seeing the crucifixion and seeing the resurrection happening before his eyes, because he participated in this great event, which was a symbol of the crucifixion and of the resurrection. Okay. Um, so here, um, in these verses, God is telling Abraham to offer Isaac uh, in the land of Moriah, okay, the land of Moriah. Some people believe that this spot that Abraham was to offer Isaac is the same spot that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 24. In this chapter, um, a man by the name of Aruna, the Jebusite, Okay, he, he offers his threshing floor, right, which is, uh, which is going to be the spot that the temple will ultimately be built. Okay, so some people believe that this exact spot where um, Abraham was to offer Isaac is the same spot that many, many, many hundreds of years later, the temple was to be built. Okay, so some people say this. And again, the symbolism there being that in the temple is where um, sacrifices were offered to God on the same spot that Abraham offered his son Isaac. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see again how Abraham responds immediately to the command of God. He rose early in the morning without hesitation. He didn't delay. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't find excuses that he couldn't go. He didn't have second thoughts. He just rose up early in the morning and he went without question, knowing that God, what, as St. Paul had said, that if Isaac is, is, if Abraham is called to offer Isaac, then somehow God could even raise him from the dead. Okay. St. Augustine says about this, Abraham never believed that God would accept a human sacrifice. Yet once he heard the divine command for offering his son Isaac, he instantly obeyed. Abraham was worthy of commendation as he surely believed that after offering his son as a burnt sacrifice, he would eventually be risen up. Somehow, right? Because, because what God is now telling Abraham is impossible, right? On the one hand, he told Abraham that it is through Isaac that you will be the father of many nations. It is through Isaac that I will fulfill the promise that I made to you. 
that your descendants will be like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the heavens, right? It is through Isaac. So God said this to him. Now God is saying, but I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. So both cannot be, right? Both at the same time cannot be. So instead of like Abraham, instead of talking to God and saying, God, this is a contradiction. How in the world are you going to do this? You told me one thing and now you're telling me something else, right? Abraham in his complete submission just said, I trust the Lord, what he says, and I will do what he says. To the point where, as St. Paul said, he believed that God is going to figure something out. If God is to raise Isaac from the dead, he will raise him from the dead because God said that Isaac will be my descendant, that Isaac will have the, 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 the offspring by which that Abraham would become the, the, the father of generations, right? So, so he, he didn't trust what seemed obvious. He didn't trust the physical world. He didn't trust like the logic of the situation or the illogic of the situation. But instead, he said, God has a plan that I don't understand. He didn't even ask him what this plan was. He just said, I'm going to go. Whatever God says, I will do, right? And we can learn so much from this great obedience of Abraham, okay? <clears throat> then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So they were traveling, right? Um, they took with them what they needed, okay? And, um, and, and, and origin here, he says about this, he says that the third day represents the resurrection of the Lord, right? They were traveling and now on the third day is the day that Isaac will, uh, will be offered on the altar and then he will walk away as though he is being um, resurrected, okay? Um, and the wood that they are carrying, right? It says, and Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering, right? Um, in the previous verse, this wood that Isaac is to be offered on is like the cross. And Isaac carrying the wood is like the Lord Christ carrying the cross. Okay, so there's a lot of symbolism and similarities here. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. So see here the image of Isaac carrying the wood on his back, just as Christ carried the cross on his back. Okay. Um, uh, Father Caesarius, his name is Father Caesarius of Arles. He says that this idea that these young men remained behind, they didn't come. He says that these men refer to or, or a symbol of the Jews who could not go to the place of the sacrifice because they rejected Christ. Like those people, like those Pharisees who rejected Christ are, are like symbolized by these men who did not go up to worship with Abraham and Isaac. Okay. Both Abraham and Isaac, they walked together because both were offering a sacrifice, right? Abraham was offering his only son, okay, through love to God, while Isaac offered himself through obedience, right? Both of these people were making a sacrifice. Abraham was making a sacrifice of his son, and he did this through love, while Isaac offered himself as a sacrifice through obedience to his father, okay? The same thing happens with God the Father and God the Son, Right? From the Father's perspective, when it comes to salvation, 
We read in this famous verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the one making a sacrifice, right? God the Father making a sacrifice by giving his son, right? Giving his son as a sacrifice. From the son's perspective, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So the son is offering himself as a sacrifice, and the father is making a sacrifice by giving his son, right? The same exact thing that we see here with Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son both sacrificing. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look at the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. You can imagine that this is one of the most difficult moments, right, for Abraham, that they are walking now on the final leg of this journey to the place where they would build the altar and that he would place Isaac, his son, on the altar to offer him as a sacrifice. And Isaac is wondering, you know, again, Isaac in his obedience, he's, he's reached there to this point and he's wondering, where is the burnt offering? Where is the lamb that is going to be offered as a burnt offering, right? And even the words by which they speak to one another shows like the, the kindness and the love between them, right? When Isaac is speaking to his father, and he's saying, my father. And then Abraham responds, here I am, my son, right? Here I am, my son. Like such a beautiful way of addressing each other that shows like intimacy of, of their close relationship and the love that they have to one another, right? And we see here also the, the faith of Abraham. Again, Abraham at this point, he doesn't know what is about to happen. He doesn't know what God has in store for him. And he says to, to his son, God will provide the lamb. Somehow God will provide the lamb. There's, something is going to happen. I don't know what it is, but God will provide. God will make it happen somehow. I don't have an answer, right? None of this made any sense, right? But it didn't allow Abraham or Isaac to, 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 to stall. It didn't, it, didn't allow, it didn't make them to stop or to hesitate or to second guess or to question, is this the right thing to be done or not? And Isaac didn't ask a million questions. Isaac just, he, 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 he submitted to his father just as his father submitted to God, right? And so we, we look at ourselves, you know, and maybe we find ourselves so different than this, so different. You know, we always want the answers and we, we are often not willing to obey or to submit until we receive the answers that we're looking for. We want to be convinced that what we're being called to do is reasonable, right? But when it comes to God, okay, God wants us to trust him even when it doesn't seem reasonable, right? Because maybe God is not going to reveal to us all of the things that we would need to know in order to determine whether it's reasonable or unreasonable. God just wants us to learn to submit to him, okay? And similarly, like children with parents, right? We want our children to learn to submit right, to the authority of the parent, not to ask a million questions and only be willing to submit if it makes sense. No, if the parents love the children, they are doing what is good and right for the children, the children should submit to the parents, right, just as we are called to submit to God.
And here we see Isaac with complete trust in his father and with complete trust in God. Then they came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Right? Such a dramatic moment. You know, we don't hear Abraham crying out to God, asking if there is another way. We don't hear him hesitating. We don't see him questioning. We don't see him getting angry at God because of what was about to happen. He completely believed <clears throat> that God's plan was perfect. Abraham trusted it. It didn't make any sense to him, but it didn't matter because God was the one behind the plan. Okay. Similarly, you know, and maybe at this point, even more. The victim, who was Isaac, who was allowing his father to do this to him. He's allowing his father to tie him. He's allowing his father to lay him on an altar of wood. He's allowing his father to raise the knife as though he was about to slay him, right? And somehow Isaac also, knowing God's will, knowing that he was the child of promise, knowing that somehow everything was going to be fine, that he allowed this to happen. So in the eyes of God, Abraham actually offered his son because he went all the way to the point of it, okay? St. Ambrose says the father had actually offered his son as God does not seek blood but exalted obedience. In the eyes of God, this event happened because Abraham was willing to do, to do it, right? Uh, St. Jerome said about Isaac, he said, Isaac and his readiness to die had carried the cross of the gospel before the gospel came. You know, like he who was a symbol of Christ, right, carried the cross of the gospel in the Old Testament before the gospel came in the New, New Testament. Who of us can submit in this way? You know, who of us is able to submit to God in this way? Who can bear suffering for the name of Christ with such resolve, for, with such dedication, who can fearlessly accept death, right? If it is the will of God to sacrifice ourselves in this way. And maybe today, God is not asking us to lie down on an altar so that someone can slay us with a knife, okay? But he's asking us to sacrifice ourselves in different ways. He's asking us to sacrifice of our time, our energy, our money, our, our, our skills <clears throat> and talents. He's asking us to sacrifice, right? And to give of ourselves to further the gospel, to further the kingdom of God, to spread the word of God, to, 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 to grow the church, right? To feed the poor. He's, 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 he's asking us to sacrifice, right? To make this happen, right? And we ask ourselves, are we willing to do the, even the small things that God is calling us to do when we see Abraham and Isaac are willing to give up everything for this goal, right? This is why we see Abraham and Isaac. They are truly heroes of the faith, models of faith for all Christians because of what they were willing to do to follow God, okay? And God revealed to us who they really were in this event, who they really were, what, what is really inside these men in this event. And this is one of the reasons for this test, right? Of course, this was a foreshadowing of the resurrection and of the crucifixion and the incarnation, but it was also to, to allow us to see why these people specifically were chosen to be patriarchs? Why is it that we should honor and respect them because of what they did?
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay. Like this is an 11th hour, you know, at the last minute, right as Abraham had lifted the knife, that he was stopped by the angel. Not a moment before. You know, like, like the angel could have waited until he put Isaac on the altar and then come to him and said, um, no, Abraham, don't go through with it. You know, he could have told him on the road on their way there. He could have told them at any point. Right. But which point did God choose to send this angel to communicate to Abraham that he should stop? It was at the last possible instant before his hand began to move with a knife. Right. And sometimes we see that God works in this way that God works in the last possible instant, right? As we spoke about before, I believe on, was on Tuesday in the Q&A, about how God um, allows trials and how we benefit from trials and how sometimes everything has to be, you know, so out of control in order for us to rely on God and to feel God's presence is the only thing that can solve our problem, is the only thing that can save us, is, is God's presence, it's God's work. Okay, here in this last instant, we see God intervening, that God is the one who is stopping this because it is in the eyes of God that Abraham went through with this act, right? And he offered this act of love and obedience to God. Um, verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Okay, so just as Isaac is, an, is a symbol of Christ, as, as the Christ who carried the cross, as the Christ that was nailed to the cross, as the Christ who resurrected from the dead, this ram is also a symbol of Christ, right? This ram is the symbol of the Christ who was sacrificed on the cross, the one who actually you know, was sacrificed, the one who died for our sins, okay, symbolized here by this ram. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, right? God is the one who provided the ram. God is the one who provided the sacrifice, okay? God provided the sacrifice by which we became reconciled to God, right? God is the one who offered the sacrifice. He provided the sacrifice for us. There was no sacrifice. Like in the Old Testament, people kept offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, thousands and tens of thousands of sacrifices that were being offered. And none of those sacrifices could reconcile us to God. But God provided the one perfect sacrifice who is his son, that is through him that we became reconciled to God, okay? That we became children of God. So thus, the altar of the New Testament, right, became the place where God encounters us, right, through his son, right? This is the place of union between us and God, the place where the barrier of separation between us and God was removed, okay? God provided the sacrifice of his son who, who is offered for our sake. 
Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their, the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay. God here again, after this great act of obedience by Abraham, is renewing the same covenant that he had made with Abraham from before. That like emphasizing his, that he will be the father of all of these people, right? The, his descendants will be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. All the nations of the entire earth will be blessed right through Abraham, right? And, and the Messiah is to come from Abraham, right? Who will bring salvation to the whole world, right? So here God is giving him both an earthly promise and a heavenly one, right? The earthly promise is that he is going to have a lot of offspring. God will multiply his offspring, that they will become a mighty nation, that they will inherit the land and so on, okay? But the spiritual and heavenly promise is that they will become the chosen people of God, that they will become a source of blessing for the world, that the Messiah is to come from them who will bring salvation to the whole world. Okay, Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. Right, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Right, This is the reward of Abraham because of his obedience. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Okay, so remember Beersheba means the well of oath of the well of seven. This is the well uh, where uh, Abraham and Abimelech had made a covenant uh, back in chapter 20. Okay, uh, so this is the encounter, or this is the event of Abraham offering his son and the symbolism behind it. Um, the last part of this chapter, in chapter 22, it's a, a short genealogy uh, about um, Abraham's brother, okay? Um, and I'll explain why in a second. So it says, now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, indeed, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, whose is firstborn, Booz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jitlaf, and Bethul. Okay. And Bethul begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Roma, and uh, also bore Teba, Geham, Tahash, and Makkah. Okay. This very short genealogy here, which is the genealogy of his brother, the purpose of this is to reveal uh, the identity of Rebecca, okay, who is to be Isaac's uh, future wife in chapter 24. So we're not going to read about her today. She will be next time, God willing, when we study chapter 24. But this is just setting the stage for um, uh, when Isaac grows and he marries, that he will marry um, Rebecca from his own family, okay? So that's chapter 22. Chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years 
These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah to weep for her. So we see Abraham's great love that he had for his wife, Sarah, you know, and how old she lived to be 127 um, years old. And so here she dies. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Okay, so what is happening here? Abraham, he didn't want to go back to their original place of their home. Remember, before they even came to the land where they're in now, right? This is the, 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 the land of Canaan, right? This is not their original home. Their original home was um, Ur of the Chaldeans back in Babylon, which was very, very, very far away, right? And that God had called them out of there and to come here, okay? And so um, he didn't want to bury Sarah in this place, okay? So he spoke to what's referred to here as the sons of Heth, okay? The sons of Heth are the Hittites, okay? The Hittites the people of the Hittites that we read about in the Bible, um, these are the descendants of Heth, okay? And these are people that lived in that land. So um, Abraham spoke to them. Why? Because Abraham did not have any formal claim to any land, right? He was like a traveler, right? He didn't have any, any ownership, right, of anything. God had told him to live in this place or to live in this place, but he didn't have any like formal ownership. He was still seen as a foreigner. Actually, um, St. Stephen, when he was speaking about Abraham in Acts chapter 7, it says, And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. Meaning all the promises that God had given to Abraham that he would inherit this land was for his descendants. But he himself did not have any land of his own in this place. Okay, So he didn't have a place where he could bury Sarah, right? So he went and he spoke to the sons of Heth, okay, in order to acquire some land so that he could bury her, okay? Um, Abraham, okay, he had this uh, reputation of being like a mighty prince of the Lord, right? That he had this um, status and reputation where people are seeing how God is working with him. So he was highly respected by the people, right? And here we see that they are wanting to offer him the choicest of their burial places. Like take from us the best burial place and use it, you know, for yourself. Okay. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of sight, hear me. And meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of uh, Machpelah, that he, uh, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Okay, so instead of just wanting to accept something for free, 
okay? Instead, he wanted to pay Ephron the Hittite for this cave, right? He, he chose this specific cave, and this cave was owned by Ephron the Hittite, and so he wanted to pay for it. He didn't want to just accept it for free. This reminds us of when, um, you know, after the, the, the battle where Abraham rescued Lot from the enemies, right, and that he was offered uh, to keep the, the spoils, right? And Abraham said, no, I don't want... I don't want anyone to say that I gained, you know, money or, or, or anything from, from another person, right? So here, he doesn't want to accept anything for free, right? He wants to, to pay for it. Now, Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. Okay. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me and I will bury my dead there. You can see here the, the, the humility of Abraham, you know, like Abraham already has a divine right to this land, right? A divine right. God is already working with Abraham to the point where anyone who messes with Abraham, like gets some kind of disease, you know, something, some plague happens to them. And then Abraham has to pray for them in order for them to be healed. Like, you know, like, like this is how much God is working with Abraham in that place. God is always communicating with Abraham. Abraham has angels that are coming to visit him. Like he, like Abraham is an extremely special person in this place. And yet, despite this, you see his humility. You see how he doesn't feel entitled to anything. He doesn't feel entitled that because I am the chosen of God, that I should receive, you know, something from anyone, right? And this is part of how God chooses the people that he will work with, those people that will be the apostles, those people that will be the bishops, those people that will be like high ranking people in his kingdom. Okay. It's not just that they are obedient. It's not just that they are talented. It's not just that they can lead. It's not just that they are holy or righteous, but they have to be humble because in the process of, of being selected in the process of being chosen to be this, you know, special high-ranking person in the kingdom of God, right? Then it's, you're very easily attacked by pride, right? Because God is working with you in a special way that maybe is different than the other people, right? It's different. God has given Abraham the special status. God has given Moses a special status. God has given the, the, the leaders of the nation, right? These special status. So God is working with them in a special way for the service of the whole nation, right? And so those people, they have to take seriously their, um, their, their, their rank, right? And be very humble in what they are doing, that it is not because of them. It is not because they um, have special, some special skill or some special talent. It is because God is the one who is working with them, right? A contrast to this, um, in the book of Samuel, we read about the sons of Eli uh, and, and Hophni and Phinehas, Okay. Eli was the judge, 
who and, and a priest and his sons were priests, Hophni and Phinehas, right? And so they had like this special rank and special status, okay? But they corrupted the people. They caused the people to fall into sin and they themselves sinned and they did what was wicked in the eyes of God. And they were able to get away with it because again, they had that special status. They had power, right? And they fell. So it's, it's very important when God is choosing someone to work with that it is not just that they are, you know, have some special talent or skill or, or whatever, or even like they're very obedient. They have to be also very, very humble. Their heart is not moved because God has given them all these skills, all these talents, all these servants, all these missions and goals, and that God is doing amazing things through them. Their heart cannot be moved. They see themselves as the dust of the earth. They see themselves as nothing. That, 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 that they are so humble that God has even chosen them, they feel entitled to nothing. And so here, even from the enemies, the people who would be considered the enemies, right? Eventually the enemies of Israel, the Hittites, these people who live in the land that eventually God will call the descendants of Abraham to destroy these people because of their sin and take the land from them, right? And yet here, Abraham is refusing to take anything from them but wants to pay for it with money because of his humility. And Ephron answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. Like he's saying, it's not worth so much. Just take it, right? What is that between you and me? Just take it, bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchant. So uh, in the end, Ephron didn't want Abraham to pay, but Abraham paid him the amount that he said. So the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the caves which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at, at, uh, at the gate of his city. Okay. Um, Mamre was like a, a well-known place that had many, many trees, like many oak trees. And so that was, that was the place. So this cave was near, uh, near that area. Okay. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place, okay? Later on, um, actually other people, like this became, um, this cave became like, a, like, like, the, like the family burial place for Abraham, okay? Many other people, it's called the cave of the patriarchs because um, uh, Abraham would also be buried there. Isaac would be buried there. Rebecca, okay, who would be uh, Isaac's wife and also Isaac's son, Jacob. They would all be buried there in this cave. Um, and this cave is, is, is well known and it's uh, still like a, like a tourist attraction um, in Israel um, where people will go and they will see this um, cave of the patriarchs uh, where all these patriarchs were buried. Okay. So that's the end of chapter 23. Um, uh, we finished a little bit early today. Does anybody have any comments or questions before we conclude the Bible study?
Mina. Okay, so I'm gonna so and so and so going back to chapter twenty-two and so so this so so uh, did God tell Abraham to do to, to slay his son or did or or did or did Abraham decide to do it by himself? No, God told Abraham. That's why we read um, at the very first in Genesis 22, verse 2, and it says, um, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So this was God telling Abraham to do this. Okay, so, okay, so, okay, so, let me undo that. If God told Abraham to, uh, to, uh, to do that, why did it, oh, oh, why did the angel stop Abraham from doing this? If God, uh, if God told him, if God told Abraham to, uh, to, uh, to, to offer a burnt offering. So God asked Abraham to do this, not because he wanted Isaac to be offered. Um, not, not because he wanted him to actually die as a sacrifice, because he wanted to test the obedience of Abraham, right? So that's why he did it. And it provided for us the symbol of the crucifixion of Christ, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that God actually wanted a human sacrifice. God would not accept a human sacrifice, right? This was a test of obedience. It wasn't because God actually wanted. So when the angel came and told Abraham to stop, right? That that angel was sent by God. It's not like that angel came separate from God. You know that that's was God's way of saying to Abraham, "Okay, stop. You've shown me. Like this is why actually in the verse, um, in verse sixteen, like Genesis twenty two sixteen, it's a, God is saying, um, "By myself I have sworn," says the Lord, "because you have done this thing, meaning you have gotten to the point where you're about to slay your son, and have yeah. not withheld your son, your only son." Then he gives him this reward. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants, and so on. So, so God is rewarding, right, Abraham for, for getting to that point of sacrificing his son, but he stopped him from going through um, the final motion. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Thank you Mina. Uh, Ameni. Hi, um, two questions. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, when the angel spoke, he said, he said me as if he was God. And that confused me. Um, uh, when, when, when it says what, <laughs> by myself, I have spoke, I have sworn, says the Lord. When he says myself. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, he's speaking in the in the first person. The very first time. Yeah. So the angel spoke. He it seemed like he said. I think it was capital. And so it was like he was referring to himself as deity. So two things. One is so often when it says angel of the Lord. Okay. This is actually God who is speaking because God is often referred to as the angel of the Lord. I so it, could, it could be the God himself, okay, is speaking. That's one. Two, 
even like when you read, let's say, in the prophecies, okay, in the prophecies of the Old Testament, like if you read in Isaiah and Ezekiel and these prophecies, God is speaking on the mouth of the prophet. And so the prophet is reciting the words of God. So even as the prophet is speaking, he is using the first person to refer to God. You see what I mean? Okay. So, 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 so just because there's the first person doesn't necessarily mean that the person speaking is God, because we see that throughout the prophecies. But here also, like the idea that it's saying the angel of the Lord, um, like often, like that term is used to refer to God himself. Okay. My other point was, um, he also said, because you have proven this, but God already knew he was going to do that. Yes, God already so knew that he was so going he to was, do that. But God wanted Abraham to understand and us also to understand right. why God was going to bless him. It was because of the obedience that he showed. Like, you know, like all of this could have been, I mean, really, when you think about it, our, our entire life, right? God already knows the outcome. Like, right. why does even God allow our life to continue? Like, like in this moment, God knows everything that we are going to do, right? All the way to the very end. He knows every choice we're going to make. He knows, he knows where we will end up. He knows everything, right? And so why does he even allow it to continue? He could just say, well, um, I know what you will choose and this is it, right? But lest anyone say that God is judging unfairly or that he was rewarding unfairly or giving consequence unfairly or judging unfairly, that he would allow everyone to see right? The actions of everyone. And so I benefit by seeing how God has rewarded others, right? Based on their actions. So like when I read now the story of Abraham, I say, look, God is rewarding this kind of faith that Abraham had, and it motivates me and encourages me to have that faith. So the test here is not because God didn't know, it was number one for Abraham to know. So God tests us so we know ourselves. And two, so that other people know us. So other people can see why God is giving this special status to this man. That he has this like really um, unique and, and you, know, you know, obedience and faith to God. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Okay, let's just uh, conclude in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you help us to believe in you as Abraham believed, and to submit to you as Abraham submitted, and to obey you, O Lord, as Abraham obeyed. We ask, O God, that if you were to ask us to do anything, O Lord, for you, that we would be quick to respond just as Abraham was quick to respond without hesitation and without doubt. Grant us, O oh God, to walk in your way and grant us, O oh Lord, to fulfill the mission that you have given to each of us through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Hear us as we pray, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a good night, everybody.